What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Good friends and neighbors, welcome back to the Bill Press Pod with a very special guest today, former Congressman Adam Kinziger. You know, like President Biden said, none of us were surprised, but all of us were shocked at the murder of Russian dissident Alexei Navalny. Not directly, but certainly indirectly under the orders of Vladimir Putin, who got rid of Navalny just like he's disappeared anybody else who dared stand up to him. In many ways, Navalny was the Nelson Mandela of our age, a time and a man of incredible courage, willing to put everything on the line, including his own life, for the basic human rights we believe in. Navalny's courage is all the more remarkable given the lack of courage we see today from so many Republican politicians, from Trump ass kissers like Lindsey Graham, Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, Mike Johnson, the list goes on and on with two big exceptions, two Republicans, sadly, no longer in Congress, Liz Cheney from Wyoming and Adam Kinzinger from Illinois. After January 6th, they refused to defend Donald Trump. They blamed him for inciting the mob. They both served on the January 6th committee, and they've both written great books recounting the violence of that day and the abuse that they've suffered for daring to hold Trump responsible. You know, I don't care what party they belong to. As a Democrat, I say we need more leaders like Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. And we're proud to welcome Congressman Kinzinger to our podcast. Congressman, welcome to the Bill Press Pod. Uh, Longtime big fan, first time caller, and it's great to have (laughs) you. Great to have you on the show. Thank you Thanks. so much. Thanks. That's that's too kind. I'm a fan of yours, so it's good to bring a couple of uh, people, you know, mutual admiration society together. Yeah. Well, so um, let's start with. I want to talk to you about the book and about January 6th and what you're doing today. Uh, Got to start with some breaking news. Donald Trump had a bad week last week. Uh, two court decisions back to back. One saying you got to be in the courtroom on March 25. Uh, that's in the Stormy Daniels case. And the second big one, you owe $355 million to the state of New York, and you can't be an officer of any company for three years. Uh, Back to back, uh, what's the impact of this, do you think, Congressman? Well, I mean, it's interesting. So, you know, you or I who have shame and a sense of self, (laughs) you know, value, we would be more upset about this uh, Stormy Daniels case, but obviously Trump's just more upset about his, you know, financial (laughs) situation and what that does to him and, and, and the view. Look, I think... I mean, these two things I don't think are necessarily going to be that big on a political sense. I mean, uh-huh. obviously Trump taking the big hit and kind of losing his ability to talk about the business or his ability to be in, yeah, that's that's going to be a bit of a hit. But I, I don't think on the political side it's going to be all that impactful, uh, especially the the 
the New York case, the Stormy Day, I, I'm still like every right to go after him for that. I just wish that wasn't going first, but, and that may change depending on how these other cases fall. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think it's going to affect the Republican side of it. It it will be part of, and of course the other two cases, particularly if the January 6th one comes up, what we're seeing in the polling, that could have a massive impact on independents, some Republicans, and, and could really inspire Democrats to make sure they vote. Of course, if you're a Democrat and you're not inspired to vote right now, I really don't know how, how you could get inspired then. Uh, yeah, I don't know what you need, right? <laughs> um, well, it's, uh, as you point out, this is hardly the end of the line. There's a, there's a documents case, the January 6th case. We don't know what the hell's going to happen in Georgia, but that, that case could yeah. be going to. If out of them, if out of the total 91 charges, he is charged with one, two, or half a dozen or more felonies, would that make a difference? I do. I think so. And look, so there's obviously there's two audiences here. There's the broad electorate and then there's the GOP base. Right now, we're just focused on the GOP base because it's a primary and everything else. And I think if if for some reason this happened and the primary was still going on, it would have a small impact, not enough to, for instance, make Nikki Haley the the uh, nominee. But on the broader thing, uh, on the broader, yeah, I think it will have a pretty important impact on two things. Number one, we've seen obviously the numbers where people are like, oh no, I, I couldn't vote for the guy if he was charged with a felony. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that would be something serious. But the other big thing is not just the impact of you're guilty or you have jail time, but the impact of once this information that I think Jack Smith, particularly on the January 6th side, Jack Smith knows stuff that we didn't even know on the January 6th committee because he kind of picked up where we left off. And I think if Mark Meadows is cooperating, I mean, this guy knew every time Donald Trump went to the bathroom. And I think it would put right back in the forefront of people's minds, you know, the corruption of Trump, the the exhaustion that Trump brings with him. And I think people will see a side to him that they frankly haven't even after the January 6th hearing. So I think in those cases, yeah, it would be very beneficial for Biden, bad for Trump. That said, it's still probably going to be a close race no matter what. Yeah. Um, I hate to stick to the former president, but he does have a way of dominating the news, yeah. which he did again last week when he made an incredible statement about uh, the United States and NATO and our responsibility there. We know what the president said here, the former president said, here is what President Biden said uh, in response. If an ally didn't spend enough money on defense, he would encourage Russia to, quote, do whatever the hell they want, end of quote. Can you imagine a former president of the United States saying that? The whole world heard it. The worst thing is he means it. No other president in our history has ever bowed down to a Russian dictator. For God's sake, it's dumb, it's shameful, it's dangerous, it's un-American. Biden over the line? No, I mean, Biden is doing exactly what he needs to do. Um, He needs to call out the insanity of this. He needs to show his anger because honestly, I mean, look, if I was sitting there in the White House and I was dealing with what's going on with, you know, the Republicans in Ukraine aid and trying to do the best I could to lead through this moment when I'm not getting the support, um, I would be ticked off when a guy like Donald Trump 
I mean, look, all you have to know, Bill, is like I've been listening to our allies who are not taking this as some theoretic thing. They're almost taking this as if the United States itself said it would not come in and defend NATO because Donald Trump is quite possibly going to be president of the United States again. This is damaging not just, you know, for the future of NATO, for alliances, but for today. I mean, Recently, Alexei Navalny was murdered in a Russian prison. Now, you have to ask yourself, obviously, a decision by Vladimir Putin was made to kill him on a specific day. Now, what is that on the heels of? It's on the heels of Donald Trump saying Russia can do whatever the hell they Mm -hmm. want. And it's on the heels of, you know, this slow moving, if moving at all, aid package through Congress. Vladimir Putin feels like he can make these moves now. And this is where the statements that Donald Trump makes uh, are damaging, not just for when he's president, but for now, even this moment. So Biden is completely correct to react with the anger he did. And frankly, I hope he shows more of it more often, because one thing we've learned you know, the thing that Donald Trump does well is he shows emotion, even though his emotions are just whining, crying, <laughs> victim, yeah. belly aching. But people like to see that emotion in their leaders. And and I think that includes Joe Biden. Do you think, I mean, I, I'm sure you, I were kind of stunned by people like, I don't know, Marco Rubio, Lindsey Graham, oh. Ted Cruz, or, you know, def- defending Trump on, yeah. on the NATO thing. These people who are always hardliners on foreign policy, right? Except when it comes to Donald Trump. So do you think the Navalny murder, I'm glad you used that word, will make any difference with them? I think it could. Um, Look, I just want to address them because look, I, you know, we all, when I was in in Congress for 12 years and I generally, I would say generally almost always voted, you know, my conscience. But of course there's times where you take political votes and times you stand with the team or times you defend, right? Yeah, but I sure. knew that there was a red line I could never cross. And I was always speaking out on foreign policy issues, whether it was supporting Obama on the red line in Syria, thinking he should have attacked Syria at that moment, or whether it was Trump and killing Soleimani, right? And I thought that people like Marco Rubio and Lindsey Graham agreed with me on that, that they were like, yeah, they can be political animals, but when it comes to America and the role of defense, they would stand up. Marco Rubio surprised me. Lindsey Graham shocked me beyond all shock because I always said as craven as Lindsey Graham has gotten, at least we can rely on him in foreign policy. And it is, yeah. he has made yeah. it very clear. We cannot. Is this going to make a difference? That depends. Here's what I think Speaker Johnson should do, for instance, is say, since Vladimir Putin killed Alexei Navalny, the House has 48 hours to get back because we're putting the aid bill on the floor now. And we're doing that as a direct result of what Vladimir Putin did. And if the Freedom Caucus wants to take me on, fine, bring it, okay? Democrats, I think, would save him. So, you know, is this going to give leverage for somebody like a Lindsey Graham to maybe speak out a little more? Maybe. I do think the Alexei Navalny murder could make it more likely that aid gets passed, but I just, I I mean, I'm almost speechless in terms of my complete, utter, guttural lack of respect for these men now. You know, uh, yeah, this is sort of a a tangent, but it does raise the question of what happened to so many of these people who were, I don't know, what do we want to call them, mainstream? I mean, real conservatives, but they, you know, they they were 
they thought things through. They didn't always vote the party line. You mentioned uh, in the early part of your book, Darren LaHood, yeah. uh, your colleague from Illinois. You know, I knew his dad really, really well. And here's a guy, um, middle of the road, if you will, true conservative, and yet um, just became a total Trumper. What? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is what. Don't these you know, guys have any backbone or any? I guess any, not. Yeah. No, they don't. Because if you look, you know, there's like the people that the Marjorie Taylor Greens who just go all in on Trump. That's their thing. Right. You've got, you know, so, and then you've got the Darren LaHood types who are just like really quiet. If you meet with him at a fundraiser and it's a bunch of mainstream Republicans that don't like Donald Trump, he will say all the mainstream anti Donald Trump stuff in that room course he'll go to the next room to the trump fundraiser and say the pro-trump stuff it's all about survival and and look bill i've come to learn that like i mean put put the example of alexei navalny up against these guys Mm. alexei navalny Mm. voluntarily went back to russia after being poisoned with a nerve agent by the fsb knew that he was going to be thrown in jail went anyway because he said it is worth you know, going back and risking this stuff to fight for a cause. And ultimately it cost him his life. Think of the three Americans that were killed in, in Jordan. You know, they, they put their life on the line. They didn't want to, but they did. And now you have these weaklings that have a historic moment, a real historic moment to make a difference. And at the one time they should, and the history would actually build statues to them. They're more afraid of being kicked out of the tribe than they are, I would say, even of losing their job or their life. Look, I got kicked out of the tribe, and I'll tell you, it's not fun. It hurts. And, you know, I think in some cases, probably death is is not as bad as being kicked out of a tribe because we're tribal people. We, we need that security. But I couldn't imagine putting everything I believed on the line because of my cowardice. And that's what you're seeing. I don't, I don't, I just don't. I, it's like this dark haze has just fallen over these people and they can't see through it. Uh, and especially for a man like Donald Trump, right? Right. I mean, if this was Ronald Reagan and he was going off the rails, yeah. like, okay, fine. <laughs> this is Donald yeah. Trump. <laughs> clown. Uh, one last thing with Ukraine. Donald, this is not Donald Trump's only statement on Ukraine. He came up with a uh, novel solution <clears throat> to this whole problem. Congressman, and in doing so, I think raises some interesting questions about how much he's in charge these days. Uh, Here's Donald Trump on what we ought to do about Ukraine. Do it as a form of a loan. I do that with athletes. They can't quite, you know, like a professional golfer who I think is very good. They don't have any money, but they have a lot of talent. Professional golfer, I play golf. I play very nice. Did you see the picture of me, the horrible (laughs) picture with the stomach out to here? That was... So what I do is I'm putting up today a picture of me actually, what I actually look like hitting a ball, smashing the freaking ball. I wouldn't say slim, but not bad. But the ball does go far. I would say it goes about nine times further than Biden can hit it nine times. Um, <laughs> what? Where, do we, where do we start, right? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to give... Ukraine alone, and then I can hit a ball nine times further than Joe than Biden. Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. Look, his he has no grip on reality right now. I think is part of it. He's he's he truly, you know, the difference between you know Biden's lost a step in terms of how he speaks and maybe some memory. 
Uh, Donald Trump's lost three steps, but he continues to do it with bluster and like with, <laughs> with loudness. So it looks different, but, but I gotta tell yeah. you, like this goes to show one of the things I've been playing with is yes, we need to talk about the danger Donald Trump is to democracy. But I think when you say that it actually riles up his base, his base loves that they love that people like me think that he is a threat to democracy because it shows him as a big, tough man, what they hate. And what Donald Trump and his lizard braid knows that they hate is anything that shows him to be human or less than perfect. That's why mm. the picture of him swinging with a big massive butt bothered him as bad as it did. That's why his small hands bother him as bad as it did. And that's why this idea that he doesn't smell great bothers him as bad as it did because it shows his people that he's a human man. And unfortunately, weirdly, that actually does more damage to him than saying he's a threat to democracy among that base. Yeah. Uh, by the way, he did post those photos and they show him like a slim 150 pounds. Yeah. I know. It's like, he's, he's skinnier than me. Like, come on, man. Nobody's buying that. Uh, and of course, before we move there, you know, the new speaker who says he's pro aid Ukraine and it's important to continue our aid to Ukraine still can't get a bill through the House, can't deal with the Freedom Caucus, goes off on two weeks recess without even addressing this issue. Um, what's that tell you about Mike Johnson as speaker? He, Mike Johnson fears one thing, and that is the call from Donald Trump. My wife and I were talking about this today because I actually told her, I said, you know, a real baller move for Johnson, if he truly is pro-Ukraine, he should say what I said earlier, House has 48 hours to get back from this recess. Yeah. yeah, It's going on the floor. And if the Freedom Caucus wants to come after me, bring it. And I mean, he'd be as like the hero in the Ukraine crowd, but he's fearful of that call from Donald Trump. And so he's hoping that there's a magic pony unicorn that comes out of somewhere that allows this to pass, but it isn't. Here's what I think needs to happen, Bill. Take, the, take Mike McCall, the head of foreign affairs. What's he doing? I haven't heard a word from him. Take... Kay Granger, who's retiring, for God's sakes. You know, I haven't heard much from her. Take uh, Mike Turner, the head of Intel. All these people know how important Ukraine is. They need to walk into the Speaker's office and say, Mr. Speaker, until you agree to put Ukraine on the floor for an up or down vote, we don't care if it passes or fails, or, or fails, we just put it on the floor for a vote. We're going to vote against every rule, which mm. is what governs every debate, we're going to vote against every rule to come to the floor. And I'll tell you what, in a way, Speaker Johnson would like that because it would force his hand. Yeah. And in another way, within a week, I guarantee you that bill would be on the floor. But for some reason, even these retiring members, and I've talked to them, they're too scared to do it. Even the ones that are retiring. It's Unbe just, I don't get it. Yeah. Unbelievable. Congressman, uh, we're going to take a quick break here and we'll come back and... Uh, I want to pick up uh, and talk to you about uh, January 6th, your book and um, the implications and uh, where we go from here. Uh, quick break. We'll be right back. In today's podcast with Congressman Adam Kinzinger, brought to you by the American Federation of Government Employees, or the AFGE. They're the largest federal employees union over 750,000 strong under the leadership of President Everett Kelly, and they represent the workers, men and women, in every federal agency across the nation, working 24-7 
to serve us, no matter who's in the White House, no matter who's in the Congress, they do the job every day. We're grateful for their good work and grateful for their longtime support of the Bill Press Pod. Check out their website at afge.org. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we're back with today's podcast. Very, very excited to welcome to the uh, Bill Press pod, uh, Congressman Adam Kinzinger. Of course, he is an Air Force veteran. He uh, served in the Congress representing a district, of, I think the 11th district in Illinois for 12 years, um, a member of the January 6th committee. And now you see him often on CNN as a political analyst. He's the author of the book about the January 6th and his life as a, in politics called Renegade, Defending Democracy and Liberty in Our Divided Country. Uh, and there will be a link in the episode notes to today's podcast for you to get your own copy of the book, which I highly recommend. It's a great, 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 great read, Congressman, and a, and a very inspiring story, too, by the way. Thank you. Thank so you. let's talk about January 6th. I have to ask you, I've just wondered, uh, I, I, to, I'm looking forward to being to being able to ask you or Liz Cheney, when Nancy Pelosi called and oh, asked gosh. you to be on that January 6th committee, did you have any second thoughts about that? Oh my <laughs> gosh, yes. Look, I'll tell you a funny, funny but true story. So, you know, initially, Liz and I were the only two that voted for this kind of final iteration, right? And yeah. You know, it got done. And, and I hear these rumors in the press that Pelosi's going to put a Republican in one of the Democratic seats. It actually ended up being I was actually technically the only Republican seat on the committee because Liz occupied a Democratic seat. And I remember thinking, please, dear Jesus, God, no. Right. Like, don't let it be me. Please let it be Liz. And, you know, we now know that Liz had that whole thing worked out. And so great. She announces Liz Cheney. I'm on easy street at this point. And and then when Kevin McCarthy pulled his members, I start hearing these rumors that she could put me on. And again, it's like, please, God, no. And uh, but I talked to 
Eric Swalwell, uh, Jamie Raskin, whose office was literally across the hall from mine. He came over and chatted with me and he's like, Hey, if you're asked to do it, would you do it? And I remember thinking, and I told him this, I said, look, I don't want to do this. This is obviously life-changing, not in a great way, but I also know that there is no way given how historic and serious this is, there is no way I, I can say no. Like, yes, I'll do it. Um, and I'll do it enthusiastically, even though I don't want to. I mean, look, I got my, my son is two years old and I just remember, you know, knowing that I had a kid on the way then. And, uh, I just remember thinking, you know, look, I, he's going to read his name in the history book someday. Cause Kinzinger is not a very common name. I can't, you know, be a Johnson and blend in. Um, and yeah. I said, how can I ever teach him about courage and doing the right thing if I didn't do it? And, uh, so yeah, I had second thoughts. I didn't want to do it, but, uh, I'm glad I did. And I never, I wouldn't change my decision ever. By the way, I wish more members would ask them, ask themselves that, uh, that same question, but I was surprised to read in the book, you had a sense ahead of time that violence was coming. Didn't you? Yeah, I did. I, uh, but what, why, what, what triggered that? You know, it's easy. I, I was reading Twitter. I mean, hmm. look, I, I had threats against me once this January 6th thing, you know, be there will be wild stuff started. You know, there were Bannon say Steve Bannon saying things I would get. I remember specifically one post I made and I don't remember what it was probably just calling out Trump on the election lies and replying under it. It's just a hangman's noose. You know, people were doing, I had seen hmm. tweets that say like, we're, you know, we know where your office is. We're coming to get you. And, uh, and then I had people sending me, which later ended up making it into evidence, you know, these screenshots from, I think it was telegram at the time where it's like, Hey, we're going to put the guns here. You know, here's the plan. And I, I, now I don't think I really processed that they were going to take over and occupy the Capitol, but I thought there would certainly be bloodshed. And in fact, on, I think it was New Year's Day, we're all speaking on a conference call, all the members, Republican members. And, and this is when Kevin's kind of like, I'm going to vote with the January 6thers. And, and I was the first member to speak. So I was in the queue to speak. And I just mm. said, Kevin, I said, we have convinced half of the country that this election was stolen. I'm like, we were a country founded on revolution, you know, taxation without representation. I'm like, there is going to be violence on the six because we have convinced these people that this is going on. And his reaction to me, Bill, was not, okay, Adam, I'll take that into advisement. It was just operator next caller. Mm. And I was like, you know what? Fine. Screw you too then, basically. And sure enough, it was a violent day. I, I tell you, I, I never took my gun with me to the, to the Capitol because there were so many cops. Uh, but that day on January 6th, I did and because uh, I knew something was going to happen. And you mentioned, yeah, you had it in your office too yep. uh, during that time. Any doubt in your mind as to who's responsible for the violence on January 6th? No, there's no doubt. I mean, look, I one of the things that I wanted to do in this committee, and I think we were able to do, although I wish you know maybe we could have done it stronger, is make the point that January 6th was a symptom. The symptom, the, the cause was all the stuff prior. You know, all the convincing that the election was stolen, all of the, you know, even before election day. And I have no doubt because what we were able to show is that all those months prior, there was a specific plan to reverse the election, you know, accelerating different options all the way up to even calling Brad Raffensperger. And then when, when the last thing 
was January 6th. That was the last holdout. Donald Trump knew that that was his only opportunity. So he gave the speech on the ellipse. You know, we're going to go to the Capitol. I'll be there with you. We have to fight with strength. We can't win with weakness. Uh, You know, Rudy Giuliani, trial by combat. They go to the Capitol and Donald Trump for 187 minutes for the first time in his life resisted peer pressure to act. Let's keep (laughs) that in mind. Um, And sat there to see if his people would be successful. And it was only when law enforcement turned the tide when he begrudgingly put out a pretty meek statement. So it is 100% him. And I think there are people under him as well that are responsible. And ultimately, Kevin McCarthy, because Kevin McCarthy grabbed onto this false narrative that we could do something on January 6th, and he failed to lead. He failed to tell people the truth and convince the country that this was the answer. Right. In fact, I was just uh, looking to... um... I'm looking at your book now, 236, I found it. If, quoting you, if McCarthy and McConnell had pushed hard with Republicans, both impeachment and conviction would have happened. Instead, they checked where the wind was blowing, detected that Trump's followers were still sailing with him, and backed off. Yep, 100%. I mean, look, you know, McCarthy, we all know the stories I'll tell you the time between January 6th and three weeks later when he went to Mar-a-Lago, there was, you know, you would go to these conference meetings of the Republican members and it was like kind of silence in the room. Everybody's looking around. They don't really know where is this going to, because they're not leaders. Let's be clear. These aren't leaders. They were trying to figure out what's going to happen. Is Trump out? Is he in? And the day McCarthy showed up at Mar-a-Lago, that changed everything. And you started to see this cascade of endorsements for Donald Trump or, you know, we're back in the team, Mm. whatever. Mitch McConnell, who sometimes gets things right, he gave the best speech on the floor of the Senate. The best speech. After the fact, right? After the fact. Yeah. And voted to acquit. And now I guarantee he regrets it because if he would have voted to to convict, he would have had other senators with him. He would have been convicted and Donald Trump would be out of our lives forever. Maybe we'd be stuck with, you know, the governor of Florida. Who knows? But Donald <laughs> Trump would be out of our lives. That's weakness because people need leaders. That's a failure of leadership. It's just, it's, it's, it blows my mind. Why would you even do this job unless that you want to help influence the direction of this country? Uh, you say in, the, in your book, with confidence, that Trump and others will be held accountable. Give me some confidence in that. <laughs> well, <laughs> look, <laughs> some in the afterlife, yes. But, um, I, I have a little, have a little sooner than that. <laughs> yeah, I'd like that too. Look, I, I'm still pretty convinced that through the justice system, you know, Donald Trump will be convicted. Um, obviously, I'm nervous that he doesn't get convicted, and and what that does if he's not. But I think he will be. You see many of these folks, you know, as long as Georgia continues, that are going to be convicted through that. I would not put it past Jack Smith to expand indictments, you know, even further at some point down the road. Um, But so that's the good news. I also think, Bill, and I, I believe this in my heart of hearts to the depth of who I am in 10 years, if you and I could get in the quantum leap machine, mm. quantum leap forward 10 years and ask people that we know supported Donald Trump, 
they would not tell us that they ever supported him. I think he will be seen as a stain on our country once the emotion of the moment, even if he's reelected, once these emotions are passed, you know, once, you know, everybody being vested in this narrative and this tribe, once that's passed, I think people will be ashamed to have ever supported him. And I think the people around him will be forever scorned and ejected into the outer realm of political irre- irrelevance. That's what I'm hoping, obviously. But I, I, I cannot see a future, at least where America survives, where what Donald Trump is seen as anything but traitorous to this country once we're past this emotion of the moment. One thing I was really glad that you emphasized in your book, Congressman, is the role of the Capitol Police officers. You know, to me, the one thing that just doesn't fit are Republicans who claim to be the law and order party and yet who really turned on the Capitol Police. I mean, they call these people who attack them now patriots. They call them hostages. Yeah. I mean, Jesus, right? Yeah. Well, let's how, be clear. How can, they, how can they square that, right? Well, because they're not pro-police. They are pro-police when it affects a side they're on in the culture war. You know, if it's uh, black people rioting against a building or doing, you know, whatever it is, then they're pro-police. When it's police standing against people rioting that happen to be white and Trump supporters, they're anti-police. I mean, I, you know, I hate to say that. I never thought I would say that about my party because, again, I generally thought that people at their depth, yeah, there's bad examples of, of racist and whatever, but generally people try to be better. But I don't think that's the case. I mean, they're, they're not only anti-police in many cases. Look at what they've done to disparage the good men and women of the FBI. The mm. FBI doesn't get everything right. They get stuff wrong sometimes. But to disparage the entire organization of people that put their lives on the line. You know, I mean, I could even say like, you know, failure to give money to Border Patrol to secure the border because they want to empower Donald Trump to have an issue this election. No, the Republican Party is not pro-police. They are pro-police and pro-law and order when it fits into the culture war narrative that they are saying or believe at their heart. So here we are uh, already in the middle of this 2024 presidential campaign. It looks like, uh, I don't know, absent a heart attack or some other serious event. Uh, it's going to be Donald Trump versus Joe Biden. Yeah. Uh, a rematch maybe none of us wanted, but that looks like that's what we're going to get. Right. What do you think is at stake uh, in this? What do you see is at stake in this election? Oh, the entirety of the future of, of democracy. I mean, I, that's what I think is at stake. I, I, think, I think it's not that if Donald Trump wins, you know, I don't buy into the things that he's just never going to leave office or he'll run for a third term. I mean, he, I, I don't buy into that. But Bill, the only thing you need for self-governance to survive is just a basic contract that you can vote, your vote counts and the winner wins, right? That's it. In fact, that's the whole reason politics was made is because we don't agree on really anything else. Yeah. And so. That's pretty basic. Pretty it's basic. basic. <laughs> it's basic. And, and we always thought it was automatic, but Donald Trump has convinced a significant amount of this country that that compact is not real, that it's rigged, that it's fraudulent. And I think when he gets into office, if he's reelected, this time he's not going to put decent people around him. That'll be guardrails. He's going to put only yes men. These yes men, by the way, are pretty smart. These are folks that are going to be coming out of the Heritage Foundation. And I think they will work to fundamentally restructure government and will continue to destroy trust 
in our election system and in our institutions. And I believe democracy cannot survive those kinds of attacks. Doesn't mean we'll fall apart in four years, but 10 years, maybe, unless something's restored. I think that's what's at stake. And this is the difficulty, is every day for the next nine months, the enemies of democracy feed on chaos and they're creating chaos. So it's like they're getting energized. Every day I talk to people that think like I do and you do, who actually care about democracy, and they're getting exhausted by the chaos. They're tired. And so what I think is at stake, and, and, and also our alliance of pro-democracy is not a natural alliance. There's going to be some on the right, some in the middle, and some on the left that have to put typical differences aside to say we're all together in this fight. I mean, I've heard so many times from people, hey, Adam, thanks for being on our side. Oh, well, you're still a conservative in certain areas, so you're not a real democracy. Like, that's nuts. We have got to put that aside and stay together for these nine months. That's just a battle. It's not the end of the war, but that's that's going to be the challenge we have. And uh, how about yourself? Do you um, have any thoughts about running for political office again? You know, it's funny. If you'd asked me this a year ago, I would have said no. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, because I was exhausted. I came out of obviously what I came out of. Um, and it was kind of like, okay, somebody else can do it now. But like, as, especially as the book came out and I was doing the book tour and I'm talking to people and I'm seeing there is such a hunger in this country for something different, not even typical, not even old school Republican or old school democratic, but something different. So many people feel politically homeless and so I've started to feel that like itch come back a little bit. Now, it doesn't mean I have this master plan. I really don't. I don't see even my path to get back into politics, but I, I'm not going to rule it out because I've, I've, I don't know. I'm getting that fire again. I just, I just don't see the path at this moment. Uh, Congressman, we need that fire and we need that voice. So yeah. I hope you, hope you keep thinking in that positive direction. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for (laughs) writing this great book, Renegade. Thanks for your service to our country. And thank you, especially for this time on the Bill Press Pod. Uh, hope Hope we can talk again soon. Thanks, Adam. Yeah, I enjoyed this. Anytime. Thanks. It was great. And that's a wrap for today's podcast with Congressman Adam Kinzinger. Again, the name of his book, Renegade, Defending Democracy and Liberty in Our Divided Country. There'll be a link in the episode notes of today's podcast for you to get your copy of Renegade. And now we'll uh, let you take the rest of the week, make it a great one, but come back and see us on Friday with our Reporters Roundtable. Congress is out of session this week, but there'll be lots to talk about. We'll see what happens in Georgia with Bonnie Willis. Uh, Another hearing on that this week. The Supreme Court, we may hear from them on whether or not they're going to take that immunity case. And, of course... The big primary coming up on in South Carolina on Saturday. All of that great fodder for today for uh, Friday's roundtable. So again, have a great week. Come back Friday for the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. <laughs>